0: How are we doing this evening? I'm, funny thing is, there are more people online right now than there are here. I and mean, that's not funny, but it's kind of a reality. But we are here tonight, and um, so as always, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this day. for This opportunity to come together to continue to delve deeper into the theological virtues, specifically that key virtue of love. We give you praise and thanksgiving for all the many blessings that you give to us, especially for those that we don't deserve. We pray in thanksgiving for the rain that we've received this week and for safety for those out on the roads. We pray for all of our catechists, all of our students tonight, for all those who aren't able to be with us. We ask all these things in your son's name as we pray together in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, we are going to continue with the virtue of love. Um, We've made it through the virtues of faith and hope, the first two theological virtues um, in that uh, book that we've been working through, uh, which are the uh, Catholic virtues, talking about the theological virtues, and then eventually uh, moving into the cardinal virtues. But I also want to tonight, um, because we will have class next week, but in two weeks we won't have class, begin to kind of talk about uh, Lent as well. Um, Because two weeks from tonight we won't have class, we will have Mass um, in place of class. Um, So just kind of a heads up for the mass schedule for Ash Wednesday, which is only two weeks away. Where did January go? I mean, come on. Um, But So in two weeks, we'll begin Ash Wednesday, which begins our 40-day pilgrimage of Lent. And so we will be offering a mass here at 1210, um, a daily mass. That way, if you want to come into lunch hour, um, it'll be like a normally daily mass, probably about 35, 40 minutes, depending on how many people come. Um, So that'll be uh, Ash Wednesday at 1210. We'll also have a 5 p.m. Mass Ash Wednesday in the evening um, at at, uh, Queen of All Saints. And then a 7 p.m. Mass here on Ash Wednesday um, as well. I will be live streaming the 7 p.m. Mass as we live stream our normal um, evening Masses as well. So that's kind of what to be looking forward to. Next week, I'm going to apologize beforehand. We will have class, but I'm going to be super scatterbrained. Um, Next week in the Archdiocese is known as Shrine Week. Has nothing to do with the Shriner's. <laughs> it has all to do with the fact that um, the uh, shrine is finally being installed um, in Oklahoma City, uh, the Shrine of Blessed Stanley Rother. Right so Monday, I will be gone. Basically, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday. <laughs> hopefully wake up early enough in the morning on Monday to make it to Oklahoma City. Uh, There's a mass specifically for the priests, deacons um, of our diocese and the diocese of Tulsa and the bishops of those two dioceses in the daily mass chapel where they will actually be enshrining um, the relics of Blessed Stanley Roth. And that mass is going to happen Monday. And then on Friday um, there is the actual um, dedication of the shrine. Uh, For those who are at mass this weekend, I recommended do not try and go. If you want to brave it, go for it. Um, but just because I was looking at the logistics of it, and it looks like it's going to be a nightmare. Um, how many of you guys, did any of you guys go to the Beatification in Oklahoma City? Eric went. So if you ever been to the Cox Convention Center, has anybody ever been to the Cox Convention Center, right across from what now is Paycom Arena, what, what, the Thunder, where the Thunder play, the convention center that's right across the street that's now a movie, a movie studio? That was packed. The arena, completely full all of the ballrooms completely full. The jumbotron outside was broadcasting the mass, and there were three or four local bars that had an in-camera feed, and priests actually went to those bars to give communion to the people in the the bars. That was for the beatification. The shrine isn't quite as big. The shrine fits 2,000 people. The Cox Convention Center set 17,000. People got turned away at the door at the convention center. They're going to set up jumbotrons outside at the shrine. And I don't know what all is going to be set up. If you are planning on going, be there early. Um, I will not have mass next Thursday evening because I'm going to be there a night early. In the sense, I'm going to stay the night Thursday evening at my mom's house so that I only have to wake up at like 7 o'clock to try and get there by the time the gates open at 830 30. After the 11 o'clock mass. So that's kind of some of the chaos that's going to happen next week. It's going to be awesome. Um, it is great. To, kind of like um, the Thunder who played last night against the Lakers. For those that don't know, LeBron James is the number one uh, regular season scoring champion now. He's scored more points than anybody ever. But the Thunder won the game. That's kind of how next week is. It's one of those, this is going to be a great opportunity, but we're still going to win the game. It's still going to be an awesome Um, opportunity um, for us in the Archdiocese. So something to really kind of lift up um, for us. um, Because not a lot of people think of Oklahoma as Catholic. And so to have this giant shrine, um, what was funny was the first year and a half or so that they were actually building the shrine, multiple people that were (laughs) driving by it thought it was a mosque, because it had these domes that were blue. It's like, they're building a mosque in southern Oklahoma? No, 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 no. It's a Catholic shrine. Really? Really? A mosque would make more sense than the Catholic Shrine. True. <laughs> but um, it is going to be one of the coolest um, things that we've had in the state of Oklahoma, Catholic-wise, in a long time. Um, so having that as an opportunity. Um, so much so that um, the rite of election that happens, that typically happens twice, twice on the first Sunday of Lent, they're doing once, and it's going to be at the Shrine. So that church is going to be full for the rite of election. And the rite of election are those um, people, the elect, um, the catechumens the candidates that are coming into the church in full communion at Easter. So our young ones that are getting baptized, our old ones getting baptized or confirmed will be going to the rite of election at the Shrine um, in just two and a half weeks. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, It'll be my second or third time, I guess, at that point being at the Shrine but they're also moving a lot of the confirmations to the shrine. That was actually an option that we had this year of, hey, instead of me coming out there, Archbishop was telling parishes, do you guys want to come in here and have your confirmation at the shrine? I said, no, no, we don't. (laughs) First of all, it's the first time you're doing it. i want to give you a little bit of peace. Second of all, it's a two-hour drive, and that's a long drive for many of our families um, that want to support their kids for confirmation. So allowing the bishop to come out here, I think really kind of helps to build our community out here in western Oklahoma as well. All of that is kind of the next two weeks, just kind of as a um, heads up that we've got the Shrine Week next week, then we've got Ash Wednesday, and then right into the Rite of Election, and then the chaos that is the season of Lent, because even between Ash Wednesday and the Rite of Election, it's our first fish fry. Um, for, so for those of you who may be new to the parish, um, every Friday during Lent, uh, we have a fish fry here at the parish. All of the proceeds go to our youth. Um, last year was our best financial um year we've ever had with the youth. A lot of it was um, because we brought the prices back to like normal prices. It's still the cheapest fish in town that you can get, all you can eat. $15 a person um, for all you can eat, either takeout or um, in person. Um, Last year, I believe the youth profited $26,000 thanks to the generosity of parishioners um, who, who came and supported it, but also the families that help um, to kind of set it up, and for the people in town. Um, it's always a great um, opportunity. And I, in fact, uh, Kate is going to be sending out a flock note tomorrow and putting it on Facebook tomorrow. In the past, people didn't realize how expensive it is to actually put on the fish fry. It's about $9,000 a year for us to buy all the fish, the oil. Like, unless you've, unless you've run a restaurant of your own, putting on a production like that, you don't really know what goes into it. Um, but buying the fish, which we've had in the freezer since November, buying the, the, the fries, the hash, not the hash browns, the uh, hush puppies, there we go, the hush puppies, um, but also like filling the tartar sauces and the ketchups and cutting the fish and uh, making the packets for um, the, the seasoning for the fish and all of these different things many of you guys have helped out with in the past. Um, and so Last year and the year before, we were extremely blessed that we actually had three families each year help with underwriting um, one full week. So we had three um, families make generous donations of $1,500 to underwrite a full week. If you're interested in that, we'll take your money. Scratch that. The youth will use your money um, for for that benefit. Um, But if you're interested in doing something like that or interested in helping out in any way um, with the fish fry, please make sure to talk to Katie um, I know the Meisners. you always bring all your kids and your help that comes in. That's always a great thing. Um, one of the one of the things for confirmation is we have all the confirmation students come and help. We've already had confirmation, though. So I'm interested to see how many of the kids come back to help because we have kids that don't want to come to class anymore. Mom, I've been confirmed. Leave me alone. You can't make me do anything anymore. My house, my rules, get your butt in there. That's how we should treat it, but we're also in a world where We struggle sometimes as parents, we struggle sometimes as priests, as fathers, um, to try and give back in the best way that we can. So if you're interested in helping out in any way, whether it be during the week to help kind of do the prep that takes all week long, um, or helping out um, financially, or you just want to have some good fish, um, it's on Friday evenings um, during uh, Lent. We'll also begin um, having our Stations of the Cross every Friday as well. I'm putting together a schedule because I can't do them all. (laughs) Um, But typically we go through the stations, Um, we've got music that's sung, Jeff is normally here with um, Kathy to play along with that. It's a great opportunity for us to really enter into the Lenten season. Uh, Because the Lenten season, just like the Advent season, is really an opportunity for us, you're wondering where I'm going with this, to get back to this theological virtue of love. That when we talk about love, there's the three types of love that that are talked about. You've got agape, filial love, and eros. Eros is the one that societally we are the most in tune with. It's the one we hear about the most. So, so when we talk about eros, what are we talking about when we talk about the word love? That's what the society talks about, sex, basically. It's that intimate connection between husband and wife and the bond of marriage. That is eros when it comes to love, when we look at it from the church. The problem is, that's not all that love is. In fact, society has taken it out of its original definition And taken love out of the act of making love and it becomes, instead of a selfless act, giving of myself to my spouse, it becomes a selfish act of what can my spouse do for me or what can my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my um, live-in partner, whatever you want to call them, that that's what it is. It's all about self-fulfillment or even, no, Father, I want them to have pleasure too. Yes, but it's not just about the pleasure. We aren't fed by our pleasures and our passions. That's called hedonism that we talked about a little bit last week. And so we talk about eros inside of the sacrament and the bond of matrimony is where it naturally exists. The problem, though, is we don't hear about that. We don't talk about that. In fact, many of our young people, when they hear the church and sex, all they hear is, don't have it! Don't do it! The irony is, no, we want couples to have sex in the sacrament of marriage, as a unifying and a procreative action, that it is a good thing in its right way. The same way that chocolate is an awesome thing, unless you're allergic to it, or unless you have too much of it, or unless it brings you away from something else. It can unify with your body to give you the nourishment that you need I realize I'm going really far out on this analogy. But chocolate is not a bad thing. It can become a bad thing, though, the same way that sex can become a bad thing in our lives. And so when we talk about eros, that type of love, think about the bond of love meant to be shared between a husband and wife in this sexual act. Then we have filial love. We talk about, as members of the body of Christ, we are all brothers and sisters in the same body of Christ. That we are called to love each other, right? But as Saint, I think it was Saint Thomas Aquinas, was Augustine. Saint Thomas Aquinas says, "To love is to will the good of the other." But just because we are called to love the other does not mean we must like them. So we talk about filial love. That's kind of what we're talking about. Yes, I want to will the good of the other. How can I? Be happy for others to be successful, even if that means me not being as successful as I want to be. Many times we're like, yes, I want you to win, but I want to win too. But how can we be happy with others' successes for the sake of their success? As members of the body of Christ, we rejoice when others rejoice and we weep when others weep. That's how it's meant to be when we talk about this filial love. In fact, when Christ asked Peter, as we talked about last week... Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? When you go back, it's the question of, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know that I feel you. No, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I filial you. No, do you at least filial me? Yes, I just said that. I filial you. So when we look at that, it helps us put it into perspective when we look at the difference between filial love and agape love. Agape love is the highest form of love, the love given to us by the Father. Filial love is that brotherly love, that that camaraderie that we have. Agape is not just willing the good of the other, but sacrificing so that the other can have just for their good, even if you receive nothing in return. That is the ultimate form of love. Or as Christ would say, there's no greater love... Than to, lay, than to lay down your life for your friend. That is agape. That's what Christ does for us. Because then the disciples say, well, who is your mother? Who is your brother? Who is your friend? My friend are those who know, love, and serve the Lord. So when God the Father sent the Son to be like us in all things but sin, he did so Not for himself, because he doesn't need our love. He doesn't need us. He does so because we are nothing without him and have no hope without him either. So not only did he become like us in all things but sin, but then he went and agape us. He laid his life down for his friends. So remember when we talked last week about the Eucharistic prayer, the difference between I have come to sacrifice for you and for all versus sacrificing for you and for many, that new translation that happened in 2008? I think I talked about that with you guys last week, right? I'm seeing confused faces. That may have been with another group. That's why I'm I'm asking. No. Okay. There's a translation change in 2008 in the English translation of the Mass. And it went from, actually, we're going to cheat. We've got a missile over here that actually has it in it. This way I don't accidentally misquote it. That's why I have this book, is because it actually says in here, have you ever, ever heard the, the term, do the, say the black, do the red? It's because the words that we're supposed to say are in black, the red are the explanations of what we're actually supposed to do. It's kind of nice. So it says, the blood of the new, new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. We hear that every time we come to Mass, Right? The old translation used to say the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which will be shed for you and for all. There's a very important differentiation that is made in that translation from you and for you and for all, for you and for many. That it goes from his blood is shed for us all, but not all will accept that gift, And so those that don't accept it, it's not that it wasn't being shed out or poured forth for them, but that it didn't pay the price for everyone. Because as that gift of love, if we turn our back on it and don't accept it, it's like it didn't even happen. But we see so many times in the world, so many times in our lives, that we don't really understand the significance of just a single word. So when we talk about this virtue of love, what is it that comes to mind? Well, for most of us, as I said, it is that eros. We think of sex. And that's where many of our high school kids go to, and the fact that many of our high school students don't like the church's teaching on love. Who does the church think they are if they can tell me who I can love? Do you mean who you can have sex with? Who I can love, Father! Father! you're called to filial and agape everyone. You are not called to eros everyone. Like, oh, no, of course not. That's what we're talking about. But it's important to understand the definition of words. We've seen this in society. We've seen this in our own politics. What do you mean by the word is? Really? We've seen it. But then we try to take things... Societally, and say, well, it really isn't that bad. I didn't watch, but was it the Grammys or whatever the award ceremony was that was on Sunday? Choice, it was some music celebration of something. There was a Satan person dressed up with horns in red with a pitchfork, and people were worshiping it. And this was being cheered on national television. How do we not see this as an attack on the love of God? For the love of God, how do we not see that? Oh, you guys are just being too sensitive. No, you guys are being blind. You don't see that our kids are watching these things, and that's what they're taking as cool. You're presenting it as, this is how you make it. I was happy for LeBron James last night when he hit that, that, that goal. I'm a recovering Lakers fan. I was a Lakers fan under Kobe. And then we got the Thunder and he became a big Thunder fan. So I'm not a big Lakers fan under LeBron. But I was glad for him that he made it. What I didn't like was the end of his speech. On national television, on TNT, he drops the F-bomb. He's up there as this moral figure that all of these kids idolize. And how does he have to speak? F-man. I'm just so grateful. Really? What message are we teaching our kids? Oh, they won't know that. It has blown up. If you've been on social media in the last 18 hours, you've seen his speech, you've seen the shot where he's shooting over Kenrich Williams, you've seen it. And they even bleep out what he said on some places. Another place was like, good for him. I'm glad that he went and he was bold and used that. He was emotional. And sometimes when we're emotional, we don't think about what we're saying and how it can have ramifications. And that's part of the nuance of words that they do have meaning, that they can lead us to being passionate, but not allowing our passions to take us over. And so when we look at the value of love, Where do we place our focus? Where do I, as Father Danny, as the pastor, try and place my focus? I rarely talk about sex, because nobody wants to talk about sex. Unless it's that song from the 90s, let's talk about, what is it? Let's talk about sex, baby. No, we're not doing that. No parent likes to have that conversation with their kids. No priest likes to have that conversation with anybody. But the first thing that I have in conversation with a couple that's getting married is the sex talk, because of how beautiful it is, or it can be, I should say. But don't watch society when you look at it. How do we embrace each other fully? And from our understanding of that eros, yes, I know, I'm sorry, Ella's probably watching, Amanda, you can hear your or if you, I'm assuming you guys are have the conversation. We have some of the kids that don't go to class that actually watch these, so I'm just kind of giving them the heads up, parental warning, that when you have that conversation, it's the question of how do you freely give of yourself for your spouse? That when we talk about eros and love in the church, we're talking about it with this definition and understanding. This is where many of the teachings of the church that people don't understand come from. Well, talking about the hot topic issues, abortion, talking about um, premarital sex, talking about um, contraceptives, talking about um, birth control, all four of our teachings about those come from the church's understanding of eros, but also from the church's understanding of filial and also from the church understanding of agape. Just like you can't split the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from each other, we are called as people that are loving to have a good understanding of each one of them. So when we're talking about eros, it's not just the sexual act, but it's how do I love this person as myself? How do I give this person everything that I am? When we talk about contraceptives, whether we're talking about condoms, I'm trying to, in case they get don't, too loud out there, condoms, or, um, word's not coming to me, IUDs, basically what it's saying is, it's like, how do you say that? It's not an IED, those are bombs, I realized that one, IUDs. Basically, what you're saying as a man, if you're using a condom, is I give you everything except for the ability to bear my children. As a woman, you're saying I receive everything from you except for the ability to bear your child. So we're putting a barrier and boundary physically, literally, on our love. When we look at the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death and every moment in between, conception is stage One. Birth is stage two, life is stage three, and how we die is stage four. We have to have the same understanding of love all the way through it. And so when we look at our understanding of the dignity of the human person, it all comes from our understanding of the virtue of love. That's why it's so important. That's why I talk about it in every homily I will ever give because we don't quite understand. Now, I struggle with it at times She was like, now, but how can this really be loving if <laughs> we, had, we had a speaker come and give a talk to the priest, I want say it was four years ago now, uh, named Christopher West. He's one of the, the first kind of um, pushers of um, Pope St. John Paul II when he was talking about uh, theology of the body. He had a lot of different um, tracks that he put out, a lot of different books that he wrote about it. And he made a very coherent point when talking about sex outside of marriage, premarital sex. He said, if you have had premarital sex, when you get married, your only experience of sex is imperfect. But also, if you had sex outside of marriage before you get married, what's to stop you after you get married? I said, ooh, I'm going to use that one. Because that's a good question. Especially if you've had multiple people that you've had that intimate act with. Well, but my, that I do is going to stop it. It's going to make a difference. There's a saying in seminary, as the seminarian is the priest. As the engaged is the married. That's why when we in the Catholic faith look at an annulment or look at divorce, we don't believe in divorce. In fact, that was yesterday's gospel, if you're paying attention. We don't believe in divorce. We believe in something that could be called an invalid marriage. And so when we as the church are looking for an annulment, we look at everything up to the word I do. Nothing after it. Unless something after it refers to something that happened beforehand that was never talked about in the sense of immaturity. The number one reason that people get divorced these days or get their annulments through, we were young, dumb, stupid, didn't know what we were getting into. I can't tell you the amount of couples that I've, that I've had marriage prep with that went in not understanding what marriage prep was about. Father, this is just like a stamp of approval from the church, right? I mean, it can be, but I want to be a tool Not like I'm a tool, like negative negative connotation, but I want to be a tool in the tool belt of your marriage. My goal with marriage prep is that if you are called to being married to this person, that you have the best, most fruitful marriage you could possibly ever have. I want to, though, talk to you about all of the potential hiccups that can come because I've seen them in all of the different annulments and divorce cases that I've worked on. And you would be flabbergasted to see some of the reasons why people ended up finally having that decision. I have, I kid kid you not, done two annulments where the straw that broke the camel's back was the toilet seat. That sounds ridiculous. But why do we talk about the straw that breaks the camel's back? A piece of straw weighs absolutely nothing but that means there's so much that is built up under it that no one has talked about and no one has dealt with. And I see people looking around, it's like, you know what I'm talking about, i talk about the toilet seat issue, right? I know the men do, because you guys have all been yelled at for it. Don't tell me you haven't. Would you put the toilet seat down the first time that she sits on that toilet without that toilet seat being down? If you haven't heard about it, your wife agapes you. Just saying. Because my siblings will never let me live it down. I've done it 99 times, just but the one time you didn't, you're going to hear about it. It's like the one time you didn't take the trash out, the one time you didn't pick up the, the dog poop, do the dishes, fold the laundry, whatever it may be, either way, all of those things many times become those last moments. That's because there was so much was built up beforehand. We are individual people that in the bond of marriage... Are told not to think about ourselves, but are told in the world, it's all about you. And so that's why what we mean when we talk about as members of the faithful, we are called to be countercultural. Because the culture is all about pleasure and all about what you want. Not about what you need, but about what you want. Whereas in the bond of marriage, it's all about how can I love my spouse? One of the things that I give couples as an opportunity, I don't mandate that they do this, but I've, in the last year and a half or so with couples that I've met with, I tell them, my recommendation within the the last three months of your courtship, of your engagement, go to confession to each other. I said, do what? Go to confession to your spouse, to your future spouse. But father, no. (laughs) No. Why would you ever ask me or tell me to do that? I said, well, let's look again at what marriage is about. It's about loving the hell out of your spouse, which means doing everything that you can to help your spouse improve in virtue, which ultimately means if you don't know what their vices are, how are you supposed to help them? This is at the core of most arguments in marriage. You should have known better. Why didn't you read my mind? Have we had these arguments before? I've heard them. You should have known what I was thinking. Have that conversation. Communication is key in any relationship. That's why prayer is so important, because prayer is a communication with God. To know the mind of God is to never will to sin. I just came up with that. I like that. To know the mind of God is to never intentionally will ourselves towards sin. Because we truly know then what authoritative, authentic love is and what it looks like. And when you're in love, the last thing you want to do is break the heart of your lover. Unless you just want to be a bully. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we hold those cards in our card deck of, I've got this trump card. I'm going to play it. Ooh, just push that right button. Just push that button and bam! You remember that one time? We do it all the time. Like I nicely fell off there and didn't didn't notice it. But that's many times how we do it in life too. We try and make it look smooth in our lives. when sometimes all we're doing is drowning because we don't know where to go for help. We're overwhelmed. But that is where your spouse and that is where God can help us where we don't know where to go. So for you who are married or dating, that is my recommendation to you. You don't have to. But if it's been a while since you've talked to your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend about where you are spiritually, have that conversation. Not over dinner, but go out on a date night and just have that heart-wrenching, heart-opening conversation of, honey, I love you. How can I help you? But also, honey, I know you love me. Here's where I need some help. Because when we have addictions in our lives, the confessional is a good place to start. But as Christopher West reminded us in that same conference, he said, the problem is most people don't get it outside of the confessional. When we talk about our addictions, we don't want anybody to know about them because we don't feel guilty about them. We feel shameful about them. And shameful things don't lead us to holiness. They lead us to isolation. That's where Satan attacks us many times because he makes us feel like we are the only one that has ever gone through this. We have nowhere to go because everyone will look down on us. God won't. God won't judge you because he's already seen it. He already knows it. And he still loves you and still has sent his son to die for you. So why don't we believe that? That's the type of love when I talk about the bond of marriage that we're called to strive for in every single marriage. But also in every single relationship. I talk probably too much about myself in my homilies and in the Wednesday night talks. But I do so Because if I'm not vulnerable with you, I can't ever expect you to be vulnerable with me. And if you aren't vulnerable with me, I can't try to assist you and pastor and shepherd you to holiness. That is my total goal in life. That nobody that's ever a parishioner of mine ever ends up in hell. It's a pretty bold task. (laughs) But that should be all of our goals for each other. But many times when we're in our passions, when we get upset, that's the exact condemnation we give to each other. Go to hell. Mm. Have you ever said that to someone before? As kids, it's thrown around like a joke. But that's because they don't understand what they're saying. That's why when we grow deeper in our faith, we have to get back to, ironically, what we were being taught as children that we can now begin to conceptualize. When we talk about these great theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, every other explanation of faith go back to those. Because they are the definitions of who and why we are. We'll even hear about that, if I remember correctly, in this weekend's gospel. That to sum up the law, to sum up the prophets, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. So agape love. And at least filial your neighbor. (laughs) Because if we can understand that mind of God, we can then begin to understand His love for us, despite us being rebellious, little four-letter words every once in a while. I was watching something the other day that said, teenagers are punishment for our childhood. And I said, oh, that's rough. Well, think about the way that you acted towards your parents as a child and the way that as adults we act towards God. And then have a teenager and try and love with the heart and mind of God. It's like, ooh, I like that. (laughs) Touché. That's a challenge. Because I love your kids, but I am validated every week that I am meant to be a priest and not a father. (laughs) Because I can get your kids all wild and all roused up and all sugared up and have fun and peace out. I'm going home. Sorry, mom and dad. (laughs) It's what I call growing up being the fun uncle. There's always that one fun uncle in the family. My older brother was the fun uncle for my baby brother. It's about 12 years difference between them. And he moves out of the house and goes to the military. And what does he buy my brother for his uh, fourth birthday? A drum set. (laughs) There is nothing worse you can give to a fourth grader than something to actually make noise and do so on purpose. It was great. It was great. And the tornado hit, and so we had this drum set that was all blown up. So we start throwing the uh, cymbals that are the hi hat symbol, throwing it like a javelin out of the side of the house because it doesn't exist anymore. Fantastic. There was a poem written by Mark Van Doren that goes, That God should love me is more wonderful than that I so perfectly love him. My reason is morality and dim senses. His, oh, insupportable is that he sees me. Even when I pull dark thoughts about my head, each vein and limb delights him. Man. Let me read that again. That God should love me is more wonderful than that I so imperfectly love him my reason is mortality and dim senses his oh insupportable is that he sees me even when i pull dark thoughts about my head each vein and limb delights him how many times do we curse god because of the situation that we found ourselves in whether it's our fault or not How many times do we curse God because of our eccentricities, because of our inabilities, because of our looks, because of things that have happened to us? And his response is, I love you. I love you. I love you. He would never will anything bad happen to us. He allows bad things to happen to us, and this is many times where we get stuck with God. It's called the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? We've heard it posed before. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's a lot of different reasons. If God really loved me, he would never let anything bad happen to me. I disagree. We should rightly instead say, if God really loved me, he would never force anything bad to happen to me. There's a difference in omission and commission, forcing something versus allowing something. As a kid, I was allowed to make mistakes because for some reason, the way my brain works, I can't learn from others, which really kind of sucks sometimes because I got myself in some really, really dumb situations. If only I had learned from my brothers, if only I had learned from Bart Simpson, if only I had learned from those people that actually learned their lessons the first time. Instead of making the same one over and over and over and over. But my family and parents allowed me to make bad decisions so that I could hopefully learn from them. They never forced me to make bad decisions. They never forced bad decisions upon me. In fact, they did everything that they could to guard me and to shield me the same way that God does for us. But how many times do we look at those guards and those shields of our parents the same way we look at the Ten Commandments of God? God, if you really loved me, you'd let me do whatever I wanted to. I allow you to do whatever you want to. Yes, but you tell me not to do these things just because I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to be in pain. That The Ten Commandments God gives us aren't restrictions, but are a fence to keep us from falling over the cliff. But many times we see it as something that just restricts us. No, it's supposed to be there to protect us. That God loves you so much that he will let you choose not him. But he also loves you so much that he will give you every opportunity to get back to grazing in the field. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome when I looked at it, when I think about it. That God will continually give me the opportunity until it's too late. Because some decisions that we make, there's no turning back from. Once we die, our decisions have been made. Our heart has been rendered judgment upon. But until we die, as we learn from the good thief on the cross, who repented and even just said, may I be with you today in paradise, what was Christ's response? Believe me, today you will be with me in paradise. But he also forgave the people from the cross that had put him up there. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But how many times do we fall into that same trap of knowing not what we do and continue to fall into it over and over and over and over again? And so what does God do? Gives us chance after chance after chance after chance that many times bad things happen to good people just because they happen. But also sometimes because historically, our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, generations up and up and up, may have made mistakes, not personal mistakes, like we don't pay the sins of our fathers, that's not a thing. But there could have been things that they did that genetically or biologically or environmentally have a negative impact on us today. The fact that I live in Tornado Alley and I was surprised that my house got hit by a tornado, God's like, you guys literally name it Tornado Alley. Why are you surprised? Touché, God, but come on! Now I live in western Oklahoma and we get ice all the time. Or we moved to, to Midwest City right after our house got hit. So what happens? Earthquakes. Really? Oklahoma? Well, some of that we found out was due to fracking in the area. They stopped it, they stopped. Oh, okay, well then, why did those bad things happen? Because some people thought that they were doing something that wouldn't cause a ripple effect. But everything we do in life causes a ripple effect, good, bad, or indifferent. Did you guys ever hear of the movie The Butterfly Effect? Ever see the movie Butterfly Effect with Ashton Kutcher in like the early 2000s? It's a whole lot like what Doc Brown tells Marty McFly in the first Back to the Future. Don't have an interaction with yourself. Or don't have an interaction with anybody that you know. Because it can change the whole scope of the future. That sometimes in life, things that we do, unbeknownst to us, can have effects on others that are bad back to that quote again last night from LeBron James, back to it was either the Emmys, the Grammys, or whatever it was on Sunday, that these do have sometimes negative ripple effects. But they also sometimes can have positive ripple effects. How do we teach our kids to learn from his mistake? Hey, guys, public and permanent is a thing. What you say if it's recorded, what you put on the Internet... It doesn't go away. So think before you hit send. Because our generation didn't know that growing up. Praise God, Facebook did not exist when we were kids. Just saying. I got reminded today of a post from nine years ago, of a post from 17 years ago, of when I joined Facebook. It's like, oh my gosh, I've been on Facebook since 2005. 18 years. Praise God, there were no pictures before 2005, before I turned 20. Thank you, God. Unfortunately, there's hard copies somewhere that my family likes to bring out. The one they love, I hate this picture. As a kid, it's one of those, it just hits me right in the pride. In Germany, they would always have a May festival. So they would always have, in the town we lived in, in Jettenbach. And so the kids would all wear like these crowns of daisies. The boys would and the girls would wear these dresses like a a maypole type thing. I don't remember what happened, but at some point I had that crown of daisies on my head and was like this. I have burned and cut and shredded every single copy, every single negative, but they keep showing up every single year. Where do they get these things from? And you think that's bad? wait until we look in Facebook in 20 years. Oh no, did I really put myself on there on that? Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. Oh, at least with Snapchat you can delete things unless people screenshot them. How many schools have to have that experience of kids sending things they shouldn't be sending that have been screenshot, that have led to bullying for us to learn a lesson? And It's been happening for over 10 years. Yet there's a scandal at least once a month across the nation of child pornography because a girl or a boy sent a text or a snap they shouldn't have sent. But that's where we as parents are called to have those conversations, not only of public impermanence, but of the dignity of your body. Because again, it goes back to the virtue of love. Love specifically when we talk about Eros. But when we talk about the virtue of Eros and juxtapose it to the virtue or the unvirtue of hedonism and pleasure, that they're on polar opposites. There are some things that, like in a Venn diagram, go the same, but they aren't mutually exclusive. And that's a bad thing. Because many of our kids have learned, if you like it, do it. The whole YOLO movement, you only live once. So YOLO stands for, for those who don't know. The whole YOLO movement isn't about taking chances. It's about having no regrets for falling to your passions. And true passions, like your passion in life, go for it. Don't have any regrets in that form. I'm talking about, when I say the word passions, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean our animal instincts. Oh, but Father, if you put a girl wearing that in a room with boys, she's asking for it. No, she's not. Even if she is, it is incumbent upon each and every one of those men to treat her like a person and not as an object. But it's up to us to teach our children virtues and values. A couple of years ago, one of my last assignments, um, I had some parishioners get mad at me that I wouldn't have a Halloween party at the parish. So we can have an All Saints Day party, but not a Halloween party. Why not? Well, what is your kid going to dress up for as Halloween? Is it going to be a sexy cat? Is it going to be a sexy nurse? Is it going to be a demon with a pitchfork? Yeah, probably. No! <laughs> That's why! That's why we aren't having it at the church! No! That when we have those things, even though they may seem innocent, they aren't. But that's how Satan is winning the culture war, because he's making us see things that aren't truly pure as having no problems. So we see these three, five, seven, nine-year-old girls trying to be women, <laughs> that they aren't ready for that yet. But we many times, oh, but all of my friends get to do it. Be that one parent that says no. Oh, but all of my friends have the Xbox. All of my friends have a cell phone. You're six. Suck it up. And I realize that that's easy to say as I don't have children of my own. I, I understand that. But I also know, having been a high school chaplain, how detrimental the ages of six to 11 can be for many of our kids without us meaning them to be. That many of these shows that they watch on their phones, on their iPads, on their TVs, many of the conversations that they have on their phones, on their iPads, on their TVs, we had AIM AOL Instant Messenger, for those that don't know what that was. And think about the things that happened in there, where you couldn't send pictures. If I were to say, ASL, what am I asking you? Age, sex, location. That was a common message in chat rooms in the late 90s, early 2000s. 13M, 17F. USA, Russia, wherever it was. It was all about how can we take advantage of this person and trick them to giving us some sort of pleasure. Whether it be someone's actually engaging with me or someone is giving me things to think about that at that age I shouldn't be thinking about. But think about what our kids are seeing. I loved Disney growing up loved it. I hate what it's become. In fact, I was so happy when Encanto came out, not for the reason that you would think, though. There was a priest in Encanto that they didn't make look bad. I was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Disney lifted up a priest, and I forgot the whole message of the movie was trying to say that abuelas are too judgy. That was the whole message of the movie, if you got it. It's all Abuela's fault and all of her old traditions. It's all her fault. It's like, oh, I missed that. I was just looking for the good parts of it. The new Buzz Lightyear movie that came out. I love Toy Story growing up. I cried at the end of Toy Story 3. If you didn't, you don't have a soul. When, when they're going and they're holding on to each other's hands as toys and they're getting set to all just be chipped up and then they live. Oh, my God. And then Andy gives his Buzz and Woody to the little kid and just breaks your heart. And in the new Buzz Lightyear movie, societally, because it's the big issue now, they have to have a gay couple that kisses on screen, that has a child. Oh, but it was done in wedlock. No, 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 no. Civil union is not the same as the bond of marriage. It is not natural for two men or two women to have a child biologically. Well, yes, it is, Father. Okay, prove it. Show me how naturally it works. Uh, uh huh. Now, how do we play God to make it work? Well, in vitro fertilization, uh huh. Which means multiple sins have to occur to artificially inseminate someone. Think about it. I'm not going to get into details because there are kids watching. <laughs> but then when we just become products, we wonder why people don't see us as people. When we take the gift of creation out of the hands of God and are no longer co-creators, but sole creators with God, we have to begin to ask ourselves the question of how are we participating in those bad things that sometimes happen to good people? And I'll end on this. I'll never forget five years ago I was talking to a freshman class about in vitro fertilization because it was one of the topics that they, I go in, open forum Q&A, what questions do you have? And I said, well, at some point one of you in this age group Is gonna meet somebody that wasn't naturally between a man and a woman, naturally, conceived. I saw this girl put her head down and look up in tears. I'm like, what did I do? (laughs) Didn't realize that in vitro fertilization had been going on as long as it had been, because that's how she was conceived. What she heard was not what I said. What she heard was she is unnatural. No, 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 no. You are loved by God. From your conception to your death and every moment before and afterwards, you are loved by God. The way in which you were conceived was not natural, though. Just like if you're conceived outside of marriage, it's not natural in the order of things. Still a blessing to have a child. That child is still a blessing every moment of existence. If you're conceived in rape, not natural, sin had to happen for this to happen. You're still loved by God. And that's the thing that many times we miss. We are looking at the sin, and not the result, sometimes that can come from sin, that that good thing can come from bad things. And many times in our lives, that's what we don't focus on. We don't focus on the good that sometimes comes out of rough and sticky situations. I'm going to end on that because we're almost out of time. If you have any questions, we'll talk about them next week. Please write me any emails if you want to talk about anything like this. I realize I kind of went a little more serious tonight. Sorry for any kids that are watching. <laughs> but let us end in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for your agape for us. We pray that we may grow in our understanding and begin to embrace a filial love for each other so that we can truly understand the gift of life, the gift of love, the gift of our very existence. We give praise and thanksgiving to you for all that you have given to us in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because they wouldn't have gotten us to, us, us to this place without them. We pray that you may help us to forgive ourselves and to forgive each other, not because we deserve it or they deserve it, but because we don't, and you offer it to us anyways. We ask all these things through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.